Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Shack Show is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody. Thanks for downloading The Shack Show and giving this a shot. This is a new podcast. It's been in the works for a little bit. But, of course, world events have changed my perspective on how a podcast should sound and what we should be doing right now. And um, if there is an opportunity in this dreadful uh, crisis we are facing, it is an opportunity to speak to some of the more interesting people on the planet who have some spare time right now to discuss their books, their work, their life, uh, the game, where the game is headed, and the sport we all love. So without further ado, Michael Bamberger is my guest today. He is, of course, the senior writer at Golf.com, Golf Magazine, longtime Sports Illustrated writer, author of The Green Road Home, To the Lynx Land, which was a, a seminal book for me, uh, This Golfing Life, The Swinger with Alan Shipnuck, a novel about Tiger Woods, and Men in Green about caddying. He's just a fantastic writer, one of my real heroes in the profession of golf writing. I love what he does. He has his very um, distinctive voice. And he is uh, somebody who has adapted to the internet, to print, but of course, really at his core, he is a fantastic writer of books. And he now has a brand new book from Avid Reader Press called The Second Life of Tiger Woods. It is a sensational read. It's a difficult read at times because if you are a fan of Tiger Woods, uh, Michael's incredible reporting gets to the heart of some very, very difficult topics in that uh, run-up to the 2019 Masters last year. But, of course, it ends on that wonderful, happy note of the uh, great comeback by Tiger Woods, uh, which was one year ago this week in Augusta, Georgia. And it is a book I highly recommend. Go to jeffshackelford.com. I'll have links to Amazon or to uh, some other options for buying the book that maybe help independent booksellers. So, without further ado, my conversation with Michael Bamberger. Michael, I want to ask you first uh, about the book and your process, and not in a, a gotcha kind of way. I, just as a writer, I'm curious 
how the second life of Tiger Woods uh, came about when you started thinking about doing this book? And was it your idea or did your editor come to you? How, how did that all come together? Yeah, the, uh, uh, I went to the editor, uh, like all of us, we, you know, who cover Tiger Woods closely. We're, we're reading tea leaves all the time. And something, did you happen to be at the Honda tournament in 2018, Jeff? No. So he played well. That was the first time he played really well after, well, after the uh, surgery and after the Memorial Day arrest. And then he came back and he played the West Coast in 2018. And there were interesting signs there. I'm sure you would have seen some of that. But then at the Honda tournament, the first stop of the Florida swing, uh, he was swinging beautifully. Uh, and the irons were majestic. And I was really struck by all that. But the thing that really got me was uh, Sunday when it was over and, uh, he could have been highly annoyed because he was semi-contending and didn't close well. Uh, but then he made some sort of offhanded comment about the kid that he played with 21 year old Sam Burns and how Sam had played his way into the Tampa event. And honest to God, I'd never heard him say <laughs> something so selfless in all my life. Like I didn't even know that t- I didn't even realize the tiger knew how that works. You know, how you get into the next week's event if you don't have status. So um, anyway, I was struck by that. And I think from that moment on, I was watching Tiger with a different, uh, with a different set of eyes, really, more keenly. And, and, and later that year, but before he won the Tour Championship, I called my, uh, my editor, um, a young man named uh, Joe Fiori Adler, and, uh, and suggested that, uh, uh, that, that Tiger's comeback or Tiger's efforts here might be worthy of a book, having no idea that, of course, that he would win the Tour Championship or the Masters. And he edited another book on Tiger. So what was his reaction? He had edited another book on Tiger, right. He, he edited the big, thick biography of, uh, of Tiger written by Armin Katane and Jeff Benedict. He was enthusiastic immediately. Uh, he's very interested in golf. He's a good player himself. And, uh, and there, there was no fight of any sort. I mean, he was like, yeah, let, let's see where it goes. Uh, uh, so anyway, I, I was going down the road uh, before the tour championship. And then I've written about this uh, and mentioned this before, but some will be amused by it. I know I have a personality, numerous personality defects. And one of them <laughs> was very, became very evident on that Sunday afternoon at last year's Masters because I was actively rooting for Francesco Molinari even though any sane person would say, and it would be true, wouldn't a Tiger victory be good for you and your book? The answer is yes. And still, I found myself rooting for Francesco Molinari. And I don't know how you feel about him, Jeff, but I'm just so taken with the guy and how he goes about his business and everything about him. But also, I just uh, love the idea of seeing character being revealed if Tiger got close and didn't close. Uh, although we did see a little bit of that at the British Open and the PGA, but anyway, but especially at the Masters, but anyway, that's how that all came about. Interesting. Wait, are, are you a Molinari buff yourself, Jeff? I am. Uh, I am, but I, I root for the story. I'm from the, the Jenkins school of, of yep. uh, golf writing and I yep. do root for the story and I still not quite over Carnoustie, frankly, because I went the whole way or most of the way with Tiger and, and he played so magnificently that day, but. I also have this incredible admiration for Molinari because Tiger missed two shots, essentially. Yep. And Molinari didn't miss one that day. And I actually, one of the rare times I've gotten to talk to Tiger one-on-one, I, I mentioned that and how unbelievably difficult the golf course played that day and how incredible his round of was uh, given the, the conditions, the firmness, and how the slightest 
slightest mistake was uh, exposed. Where did you get Tiger one on one? Oh, that was a Tory Pines in uh, twenty uh, uh, nineteen, and he was it was a pro am, and you know how it is in the pro am. He gets the uh, front nine. He's engaged with the people, and about about the tenth or eleventh hole, he gets bored. And it's a good right. time to kind of walk out and see if he wants to chat. And he was very chatty that day because I had asked a press conference question about the shot he most enjoyed from the previous year. And it wasn't the answer I would have given. He, he, he wanted to know what I thought of the answer, which, like you have noted, is kind of unusual for him. Um, I didn't want to tell him that the shot he hit at the Tour Championship I didn't see because I was sitting at a cafe in Paris getting ready for the Ryder Cup. <laughs> um, I was more intrigued by the two shots he hit at Carnoustie on the sixth hole. They're the, they're the two greatest shots I've ever seen in person. That, that was in the winter of 2009, so before he won the Masters, right. That's very interesting. Yeah, well, yeah. Good for you. It's, uh, it's exciting. You know, no matter what you think about Tiger, you know, we love golf and uh, – and you can't help but be uh, admire his achievements in the game, and and to get something directly from him, especially on a uh, you know, with the deeper into golf it is, the more comfortable it is. It's it's exciting. Well, but to your but to your point, to your point, he he observes everything, and he knew that I was out there watching, and he knew from one of my questions after the round because I was the one who asked about the, the 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 heckler on the 18th, which was one of the scariest things I've also seen in golf. And I had asked him if the RNA had had issued an apology that because it was uh, on his backswing and it was awful and the guy was scary looking and uh, his answer was f no uh, he was he was still a little hot about that one so but he was very proud it was interesting though he was very proud of that that day at Carnoustie that was the thing that came through and Dan Kilbridge my co- colleague at the time at Golf Week was was with me then for part of that chat and and uh, that that came we were we were kind of noticing that 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 way that golf course played and even though he didn't win the, the the he had he had immense pride about that performance in every way as he should it was it was phenomenal it was exciting and molinari made a very interesting uh insight uh, uh with me but i'm sure with others as well um about tiger that week was that you know he had his two children up there as i'm sure you would have yep. seen while you were walking around with, with erica and uh, Molinari said he may have just wanted it too much. And uh, that's like a lot of things in life when you want them too, too much, uh, uh, you can't get it. Do you remember what uh, Tiger said in response to a question that Doug Ferguson, same question Doug Ferguson asked him at, uh, at Medina in 2019 after the Masters, what was your most memorable shot of the year? Do you have no, calls no, answer to that? Tee shot seventeen oh, Sunday right. yes, yes, at Augusta yes. National, which you cover in the in the book a little bit. And I just found that really interesting because you know without that tree there, it's uh, obviously it's a challenging and extremely important tee shot. But I, I don't take it lightly. I just he you know he hit a great drive there, but he hits you know he hits a lot of good drives these days, or he occasionally yeah. does is probably more accurately. But it was just interesting to me that that would be the shot that stood out. But you know, as he made the case, that's what let him win. You know, once he drove it in play on seventeen, he wasn't going to make a bogey there. Very more than likely, wasn't going to. And he was going to win that Masters tournament. So uh, it's just interesting how his mind worked. He has a very interesting yeah. mind. He uh, in general, I think he's not given enough credit for that. Well, he hasn't shown it, uh, and he has started to sh- to give us insights in the last couple of years that I think reveal more of that. And you cover that in the book a little bit, especially as you noted on. I uh, listened to another podcast you were on, uh, the Trap Draw. You had a great chat with the, the No Lane Up guys, and you uh, he he uh, has really kind of opened up more on the, especially on the golf side. 
that, that trap draw podcast, I wasn't sure if I was in an SNL <laughs> bit or if it was a real thing. It was great. Thank you. Yeah, he has, he ha, he has opened up more. Uh, and, uh, you know, sometimes we want too much from any sort of celebrity as it is. Uh, but the thing, you know, and I think it's important to remember that they're human beings with extreme skill and expertise, often in one very, very narrow area that they may or may not even be good about talking about. So, like, if we got Jack Nicholson one-on-one, you, you probably met him or, you know, mm-hmm. so probably seen him around. And of could, could Jack Nicholson go deep on the art of acting? Maybe he could, but maybe he couldn't. Maybe he's just a savant that way, <laughs> and, and it's just not in him to do it. Well, you know, you could say the same about Tiger, but what you and I well know, and, and most of your listeners would know, if you ask Tiger a golfy question, he'll go deep with you. Yep. Yeah. I've had some really uh, fun moments the last couple of years asking a, a kind of golfy question that you sense other writers are like, oh, great. And he just gives these uh, fantastic answers. And it's, it's, uh, and sometimes I've asked him just because the the questions are going in a direction. It's like, well, this is this is this is going to make him annoyed. We need to get back to the game here. Um, right. But uh, hey, on that topic of Jack Nicholas, you reminded me of a. I just have to tell a quick moment at the memorial a few years ago. He was talking about Mark Wahlberg and this new water that he launched, and I, I just had no idea about nicholas uh jack and barbara's affinity for movies and i threw out a question because because Wahlberg had the new uh entourage uh movie coming out that he was a, a producer of and obviously was part of the show and i i basically sarcastically said to to mr nicholas uh you're gonna go see uh entourage and he looked at me with this look and he goes well of course i am <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize, and I Scott Tolley told me later, yeah, he and Barbara go down to the theater in the afternoon, get a big thing of popcorn, and see everything. How about that? Well, Jack, Jack and Barbara have the life that a lot of us uh, aspire to, which is um, uh, Italian restaurants in uh, nondescript strip malls and movies. <laughs> I don't know what more you could want, and a, and a flat screen. Uh, let's take a quick break, and then I want to talk to you again about something related to the book we were just discussing. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, uh, so you mentioned the tee shot on 17, but in the book, the thing that really stood out to me, uh, and I assume because you did not speak to Tiger at length for this book or get the opportunity um, you go through the 13th hole tee shot in the final round. I I was fascinated by the observation you had that that you believe he thought he overcooked it. Um, and I'm anxious to watch the rerun on a big screen and, and see all that. I was watching on the little screen in the press center with the, the, the tracer, I think, on Amen Corner Live. And I couldn't believe the line he took. But you you believe that was that was really the moment of that final round from what I gather in the book. Yeah, well, something weird. Well, we know something weird happened on that T-shirt on 13. Uh, because I, I tell me, Jeff, if your experience is different, I've never known Tiger to try to hit a slice over those trees on the uh, on the on the left, like a left-handed golfer might do. I mean, I mean, he he talks about uh, you know, it, it, really uh, playing draw shots down the right side, typically with the three wood. But uh, uh, this day it was wet and he hit driver and uh, it was sort of a go moment for him in the tournament and his, his right foot slipped. And uh, he, he says that very clearly uh, in, in the broadcast. Uh, Tony Finau, who's standing four feet from him, uh, uh, said that he hit sort of a toe hook there, uh, which is unusual uh, to think, but that's what he said. But anyway, you can you can see the ball in the telecast. It's going... It's going above those trees for a while. Then it looks like it's in those trees for a while. It looks like it, it may be ticked off of something. Uh, and then it winds up in the in the middle of the 13th fairway. He hit an eight iron and a two putt, and he made four. It kind of goes to the point that Tiger used to make all the time, and people mocked him for it, but it's true. To win, you have to get lucky. You, you know, if you win by 12, you haven't gotten lucky. But if you win by one, Something has gone your way, and uh, and that looked like a tee shot. You don't typically you don't typically slip your right foot slip on a tee shot, uh, and you wind up three hundred and ten yards in the middle of the fairway. Yeah, uh, and then he and then you said he he tossed his gum out into the uh, azaleas. Yeah, it's sort of a fit of um, thinking he had messed up. He he looked to be disgusted with the shot and. One thing we know is that Tiger's facial expressions do not lie. 
And, and in that that part of the book, again, and the, and the book is just uh, the, some of the reporting and, and detail is just so sensational. Congratulations, you you. Well, you're very nice, Jeff. Uh, it's nice of you to say because you know this material as well as anybody. So to hear that from you means a great deal. So thank you. Well, for that. and as I note in the intro here, it's it's tough at times because your detail is you you really hit on a lot of the, the tough times too. But I think it's important to to remember where he was. Um, but one of the things you 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 did was you tracked down the CBS cameraman. What, why did you, what was your interest in doing that? Who, who was the guy who was following the ball just to kind of give some insight into the master's broadcast or was there something else? Well, no, because I, because this guy had, uh, well, he had a real time view of it. And if you, if you actually look at his camera work, you can see that that ball is go, is going into the trees and then he kind of has to make a jerky little move. I don't mean to overstate it. Yeah. yeah. But, but, <laughs> But, you know, it is a slight, in other words, it's not that, look, if that ball's just sailing through the air, there's no jerky little move. But here, and he thinks, and, and, and he, you know, this is, none of this is definitive. It just, oh, I know. This, yeah. this is the forensic yeah. evidence available to us. <laughs> I don't think Tiger would necessarily know. I don't know how he really, really could know. But his feeling was that it may have, uh, you know, as can something happen, a, a, a ball hits it. Twig or or a or a branch, and uh, it kind of can change direction in a in a weird, unexpected way. Uh, because my question to him is, you know, what caused you to sort of move your camera like that? And uh, so, so he he gave me his uh, best analysis of it, and I've offered my best analysis of it. And I think it's interesting that you've that uh, you're the first person that, to ask me about that part. But it is interesting because he got he made four there, and it it could have been a higher number. Yeah, I, I just thought that moment, and uh, and the moment on the twelfth green when he when he went up and did his uh, cleanup work and leaned on the putter, I was so mad. Bill Pennington wrote a great piece on that. And it was like to me that was just the moment that w- in that final round when you saw he had his his full on mojo back or whatever you want to call it. Uh, the gamesmanship was there and and. In stark <laughs> um, uh, contrast to the, what was going on on the other side of the creek. And Jeff, just to finish up on that one thought you just made, that part of that mojo, of course, is the effect he has on other people. And for Molinari, who's one of the most intelligent people you could ever meet, to say nothing of his intelligence as a golfer, for him to mess up 15 the way he did, it was like that wasn't Molinari. And I mm-hmm. wonder to what degree that, you know, is the Tiger mode. In other words, they're tied still. People forget this, but they're tied for the tournament, standing on 15-T. Molinari, after his trouble on 12, made a birdie on 13. So they're tied on 15T, and uh, and it's only after 15 that it's really sort of half game over at that point, at least for Molinari. So to what degree did uh, the, the Tiger Mojo that you just speak of uh, affect uh, Molinari's play on uh, on 15? Yeah, no, it was it was a sensational final round. Um, one other uh, thing, in I mean, there's so much in the book that I would love to cover, but I uh, naturally have to uh, target the piece, which now I, part of it, I, I'm not sure if it was a book excerpt or you wrote a new, a new piece on, on, uh, Greg Norman and the, um, because I just love the visual of him dropping off the, the note at the house afterwards. Um, but, but tell, uh, tell me a little bit about the, the Norman note and then that this, uh, sort of, they run it, they run into each other later on and, and have a nice chat. Um, is, is there something to read into that? I mean, other than just kind of the fun of, of these two living right down the street from each other, but not being super close. 
Well, I, I do think there's something to read in it, Jeff, because it's like, uh, you know, everything in the uh, in the human condition, uh, uh, people change, relationships evolve, and, uh, you know, how things were at one point doesn't mean that's how they're going to be uh, forever. But anyway, just to give uh, your listeners who wouldn't uh, know, know this history uh, uh, well, very briefly, uh, Greg Norman was the best player in the world, you know, by the World Golf Rankings. Oh, yeah. He was replaced by Tiger Woods. Uh, the same Tiger Woods who uh, went uh, employed Butch Harmon, Greg Norman's former teacher, uh, hired Steve Williams, Greg Norman's former uh, caddy, moved to or- moved to Orlando as Norman did early in his <laughs> career, then moved to Jupiter Island as Norman did, started with IMG and then broke away as Norman did, uh, hired Norman's estate manager. I don't know if I'm using the right term there. In other words, there were a lot of things that. Norman did first that Tiger did later. Hmm. Um, and Norman, uh, and there's a whole history here that I don't pretend to, to know intimately at all. Norman has always been mystified as to why Tiger, who's been very deferential to certainly Arnold and Jack, uh, in, in particular, uh, uh, has not been deferential and really never even paid, uh, any sort of particular respect really to hmm. the fact of what Norman did in his career. And, uh, uh, and I think Norman has never said this to me and I don't think it would be in his character to say so. I think I, well, I would say I picked up on her, you know, the basic human emotion of her from, but anyway, so then just to fast forward, there's a lot more to it than that, but just to fast forward here. So then Tiger wins the, uh, the 2019 masters, uh, Norman lives a mile or two away from him. Uh, he hand delivers a congratulatory note. And Tiger just doesn't respond to it. Well, Tiger might have his reasons. Tiger may was overwhelmed. Who knows? But he didn't. Uh, and Norman was like, you know, I think annoyed. And I could understand why. Uh, uh, I could understand why. So just let's leave it at that for now. And then, so that was May of 2019. And then in January of 2020, uh, they saw each other uh, in South Florida. And and Norman told me that they, uh, that, that, they don't see each other very often uh, at all. And uh, Norman and Tiger told me, excuse me, Norman told me that Tiger told him, uh, I got the note, I appreciate it very much. And then Norman told me that they had a warm, real conversation. And really the way, the way that Greg said it was, it was actually the warmest, most revelatory, most real conversation that they'd ever had in probably, I'm guessing, about 25 years of knowing each other. So I just thought that was interesting so yes it's in the book and then i followed up on it more recently in, in golf.com yeah well greg said some tough things about tiger during his scandal but I, I i would bet the thing that probably bothers him more if i had to guess was is tiger also patterned so much of his business uh approached after things norman did and and uh and knowing norman's pride in his business and how he's built it out that probably uh would, would burn a little too what do you just last thing before we take a quick break what what, what do you make of where Greg Norman is in, in life and golf and business? And Because you're not a big social media guy, but you probably are well aware that he can get a little bit strange uh, these days on those mediums. Well, that's interesting, Jeff, because my one-on-one experiences with Norman uh, are extremely positive. I find him to be a very uh, intelligent and engaging person, and uh, uh, I think... I, I know he likes to take off the shirt and shut it off, but, but, you know, being uh, only a few years younger than Norman myself, uh, 
uh, I think it's uh, admirable to take care of yourself uh, the, the the way that he does. Uh, this this World Golf League is what, what do they call that, Jeff? Premier Golf League. Yeah, the Premier Golf League, as you well know, and your listeners uh, would would likely know, uh, was essentially an idea that he had twenty plus years ago. Uh, so I'm sure you know he's obviously very not obviously to people don't follow, but it, but if people do follow, know that he's been very involved in in, in trying to get it off the ground. Uh, but I think uh, without just sort of guessing here, I think it's hard for anybody who's enjoyed uh, the limelight as he has uh, than to uh, have a less active uh, role in the world and is, and is trying to stay relevant as, as many people are. Uh, sure. I don't know. I, my own experiences with Norman have been extremely, uh, extremely positive and I, I feel very fortunate uh, uh, that, that I've got the relationship that I do with him. Yeah, no, I, I think he's a fascinating guy and it's, he's, he's just, um, uh, and, and has so much to give back to the game, but he, he can be, it, it seems like at times more concerned with, uh, the, the brand or the business than, than kind of sharing at this point, what, what he's got, which is so much. And he was such an incredible player. You know, my, my, my generation, my age, it's amazing by the way, that you have to throw that out that he, he was the best player in the world, but it, it's, it's amazing how quickly people forget these days. Um, so, uh, just, uh, let's take a brief pause from the shack show for uh, another word from our sponsors. And I want to get back to, uh, our conversation with Michael Bamberger. MTV's official challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we just in case you forgot. I'm Tori deal. I'm a six time finalist and a challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. 
players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Michael, last thing on the book. Um, reaction of any kind from the Tiger camp yet? The book's been out about a week now. Well, haven't, haven't heard peep. Uh, as you know, uh, the, the one person you, you, you might have expected to hear from would have been uh, Glenn Greenspan, uh, Tiger's longtime uh, spokesperson. Uh, he's no longer there, uh, uh, but I haven't heard. No, I haven't heard from anybody at all. Yeah. Um, all right. A couple other things, just while. Uh, I have you and want to – I know um, you, you cover a lot on the rules in the book with Tiger and his conflicted uh, relationship at, a, at select times in his career with the, the rules of golf. And, and um, but, but one of the things that I've, I've wished he could be more outspoken about is, is – and, and he has been great the last few years in, in, and he sticks to a tight script on technology. Uh, but I'm curious just kind of in, in looking at his career – if you can think of a player, and I would I would lump in Phil Mickelson and uh, just some of the guys at that age group as having had to make more adjustments to changes in in equipment than any time in the history of the game. Do you think do you think that's a fair statement, Jeff? You'd have to be really nerdy in the game to have the conversation that you and I are going to have right now. But- <laughs> I would say among the many things about, you know, who's the most underrated golfer of all time? It's, it's Tiger Woods. Yeah. Uh, and one of the most underrated aspects of his, of his t- time in the game is the adjustment he made from the steel shaft, wooden headed, ballada ball yeah. game that he grew up in to this game. Had the equipment never changed, had it been, if you look at what Hogan won within the fifties and mm-hmm. say what, um, what David Graham won with at Marion in, uh, in, in the eighties, in uh, which was what Tiger learned the game on versus what Tiger won the game with in 2000. It is a sea change. Had there never been a change in the equipment, Tiger would have won way more than he won yep. because this modern equipment has been a tremendous equalizer. Uh, and we won't go into all the reasons why that's true because it's, it would, be, it would, it would take too long. So I feel, and maybe you feel the same that that is a totally underrated, uh, uh, aspect of his game because here he is, you know, by far the greatest shot maker uh, of his generation. Certainly one of the greatest shot makers of all time. But it's not the shot making game that he grew up on that he's been so successful with. So there's a uh, th- there's a, a tremendous amount uh, going on there, and it, and it would be really interesting to hear Tiger go on that because what he could say, but he might leave it to people like you or I to, to say it for him is he might have 25 majors and 100 uh, tour wins. If it was still a persimmon ball, a, per, a persimmon head, and a ballada ball, yeah, and he can't say that. And I think I admire that about him that he's thought it through. That even though that's probably how he feels, to put that out there, he would he would take a lot of heat for it. And it is up to people like us to to point it out. Lauren, his chapter with Lauren Rubenstein uh, on technology is pretty incredible, and I, I hope in this next book he he does more. But, but I mean, you you know, Jack Nicholas takes heat for. 
for griping about the golf ball. It's it's a very strange thing that and Bobby Jones did it. So the three greatest uh, uh, golfers slash thinkers and talkers and and people who put their thoughts out there and and Hogan obviously was was more reserved. But the, the those three, uh, they've all had this view. And uh, Jones was never mocked for his views, I don't think. Although there's a defensiveness. You've probably read some of his his thoughts on technology. And there is kind of a defensiveness. I don't think he was getting slaughtered for it. But but Jack and Tiger have been not vilified, but, but mocked. You know, you've talked to people. Oh, Jack couldn't make a ball himself, so he wanted this ball uh, done and, and uh, this way. And uh, it'll be better for you, for him. And it, that's always bizarre to me that, that people see it that way when you really look at their comments. I am absolutely certain that everything Jack has ever said about the golf ball, which goes back 30 or more, more years, is 100% rooted in what he really believes to be true. Yep. Uh, uh, I don't think there's anything to mock there at all. And Tiger, too. And I think both of them, too, it's when they started doing golf course design, it even heightened their their uh, interest in the topic and their views. But um, so after the Players' Championship was canceled, uh, you wrote a column about your drive back north um, and thinking a lot about where we are in the game. And I'll put a link in the the, the blog post I do on my, my site and the show notes. But um, since then, well, first, uh, kind of your thoughts on that, that that you collected while you were driving about the game, and then and then uh, uh, what's happened since has obviously been quite incredible. Um, I'm curious, just uh, your your thought on where golf is going to be uh, down the line, and and your sense of of how it 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 survives all this. Well, thanks for noting that, Jeff. The, uh, that that was right in that period when we were first going to this unknown period of this coronavirus and what it would mean for our daily lives, short term, medium term and long term. And the feeling I had, you know, I just certainly didn't want to get in a plane. And, the, you know, the feeling I had driving home was that, uh, thank God for the American trucking, American truckers. And thank God for the Eisenhower interstate system, because hmm. uh, the grocery stores were, were loaded with uh, all the goods you could possibly want. And uh, there was not going to be panic because we were going to have uh, uh, food and medicine, you know, the very things that uh, the starting point of uh, of our civil society, really. Uh, so that that was one thought. And then, uh, you know, I think this is so, so obvious, but uh, I do think anyone who's serious about the game, whether you're a duffer like I am or, you know, or a better player like you or Jeff or Tiger Woods, is that the basic qualities of golf um, will serve us well for getting through this difficult period, which I would regard as, uh, as, as patience, as planning, as being both optimistic, uh, and realistic. You have to have both to, to, to achieve anything in golf, uh, no matter what you're trying to achieve. And I think that's going to be true for this, uh, very difficult period too. So I think, I think we as golfers, I'm sure most of the people listen to this, uh, maybe all of them are, are, are golfers. So I think we can take some strength and from solace from that and, you know, maybe try to extend it to our families if, or whatever might be the case. But I think those ingredients are going to be extremely important to getting through this. As for the for the game that, you know, we're, this will be in, in, of course, it's tragic for the, for the you know, the tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people uh, who have died or will die uh, from this dreadful disease. But in the grand scheme of things, as a human race, we're going to come through this thing, and our game will come back. I, I hope I'm not getting too long winded here, Jeff. But, but just, just no. one thought 
on the simple everyday game that I know you and I both love, I hope this will somehow translate into a simpler, more informal game for everyday play. Carry your own bag, carry fewer clubs. You don't need rakes in the traps. Play faster, play with fewer than four people. Uh, play a cheaper game, play a browner game. Uh, play a shorter game, shorter courses, less time out there. It should be part of your life, but it shouldn't overtake your life, I don't think. I don't mean to use the word should in a preachy way. I'm really just speaking for my yeah, for yeah, myself. Yeah. As for the as for the pro game, uh you know the pro game's a great game and it brings a lot to uh to literally millions of people. I mean millions of people across the world watch that Masters tournament, whether they're golfers or not, and get some element of, of joy uh, uh from, or a significant element of joy uh from it. I don't see this uh pandemic when we get back to our normal lives uh, uh changing the, the pro game in any appreciable way, except for maybe this is significant that there should be greater everyday appreciation for what they have because it's a gift. And mm. really, it's a gift from us, the people who, who pay their way by you know, buying the goods in the first place to them. And I think that has been lost uh, to some degree. I mean, they're all typically very polite and very respectful. But I don't know that there's really a core understanding that it's ordinary people, ordinary golfers that make their lives possible. So, you know, you hopeful, hopeful one of the, oh, this is getting too long, Jeff. But anyway, no, 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 I'm loving it. This is fascinating. You're, you're hopeful that one of the things that will come out of this pandemic is, you know, the very lesson that the play Our Town and, you know, other artworks uh, try to teach is, can you actually really appreciate your life as it is? It's a lifelong challenge. It's an age-old challenge. And, uh, and, and, and you hope that, some, that some, something good along those lines might come out of this. Hmm. Wow, that's wonderful. Yeah, I, I, I'm in full agreement. So how are you uh, passing the time? Are you, I know you like uh, a lot of different kinds of music and obviously to read. Are you, what are you reading? Is there anything in particular? Well, I'm doing a lot of, I'm doing, I'm doing a lot of that. Uh, I had a funny thing yesterday where, uh, so we, we live, uh, my family and I live uh, in, the, in the city limits of Philadelphia, but but it's not urban, really, where we are. Anyway, uh, the golf courses are closed here in Pennsylvania. Uh, so I took my shag bag and my sandwich uh, into a park, and there's a big meadow uh, where there's some, uh, you know, just a nice grassy meadow. And, uh, and I just hit some sandwich shots there last night. And I was and I was like, oh, this is so much fun, you know, to be about. Anyway, the, the second I duffed a few, he's like, you know, the red ass comes <laughs> up. And, and, like, you know, I'm trying to strengthen my grip. And I'm doing all this crazy stuff. It's like, what's wrong with you? Why do you suck so bad? And uh, <laughs> it was like absolutely nothing had changed. And it was amusing to me uh, that I was way in. Yeah, so, you know, we've been busy at work. Uh, you know, uh, thankfully, I'm, I'm very glad Howard Milstein, our boss, is uh, committed to Golf Magazine and committed to Golf.com. Uh, uh, so we're all writing a lot. And we're producing a lot. And, and I think and maybe you feel the same way. Uh, I think it's important to give people an outlet away from COVID-19, which can be really overwhelming. So we're trying to do that in golf.com, and I'm sure we'll be doing that in Golf uh, Magazine as well. Yeah, I've been uh, following your – you and Alan are, are covering a a uh, mock Masters, uh, so we'll see how that plays out. I, I have toned down my coverage of uh, First World Matters down to kind of the scheduling stuff. I, I just don't uh, feel it's appropriate, uh, at this time. But as you say, I'm starting a podcast and, and you're the first guest. And I, I do think podcasting is a great opportunity to kind of, uh, not, 
think too much about the times and, and do think, uh, let your, your mind wander a little bit. Um, do you, uh, just curious, so it, it, I, you had some thoughts on music uh, in that, that uh, trap drop pod. Do you listen to music when you write? Uh, you know, it's interesting you say that because uh, uh, typically I don't, uh, hmm. but in this period, uh, I have been listening to just our, our local uh, classical music station. I'm not, I grew up uh, in a home where there was a lot of classical music. I'm not knowledgeable about it at all. Uh, but, uh, you know, it is a tense time, and there are times that, yeah, you, if you're a sentient human being, I don't know how you couldn't have pangs of anxiety. And uh, it's just remarkable the common effect uh, Brahms and Beethoven, Tchaikovsky, and you know various others uh, uh, have had on me, even though I'm not knowledgeable about that music. Uh, so I have been listening to that pretty much uh, uh, all day, uh, every day, actually, since this thing started. Uh, whatever. How about yourself, Jeff? Do you find yourself listening to, to more music, or do you listen to music when you write? I, uh, both, yeah. I uh, I'm more of a I'm not a huge I'm like you I'm not a an expert on jazz, but I find jazz to be better music to to write to. Uh, Michael Connolly, the great uh, crime novelist, was uh, kind of I got me not not personally, but hearing him speak, and he included an album one time in the, one of his books, uh, his Harry Bosch novels, and and uh, kind of a, a compilation of his favorite jazz, which now has appeared in the a lot of those songs are in the television show that's based on uh, that, and and uh, I find it to be a better music. Classical kind of makes me a little bit uh, uh, sleep sleepy. It, it <laughs> the jazz has a little more pep and a little more. Uh, uh, variety and uh, it's a little more unpredictable. And I, I just, it's as background music. It's to me, it's a little more uh, peppy uh, for in general. So, but I, I, yes, I am uh, listening to more music. I think a lot of us have probably gotten away from listening to music because uh, things just move so fast in the world now. And this is sort of forcing you to, to treasure some of those things that, uh, you know, an album collection, I've gotten more back into vinyl too. Um, just, just for all the reasons everybody always mentions, just the touching, the larger uh, album, the 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 artwork, um, flipping it over, it's it's just a different experience, and it it's one of those once you kind of get into it, it 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 there's something calming about that as well. Wow. That's neat. Anyway, Michael, thank you so much uh, for your time. Congratulations on the book. I look forward to a, to your your next book, and uh, of course to finding out who wins the 2020 Masters on Golf.com. So thank you for your time today. 2020 Masters Part One. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we'll have a real <laughs> Jeff. Thank you so much for your interest in my writing life and for having me on your show. I didn't realize this was your first podcast. I think of you as someone who's been podcasting for a long while. But thank thank you so much. I can't thank Michael Bamberger enough for joining us and, and sharing so many incredible insights. Obviously, I would love for you to go out and, and pick up his book at uh, jeffshackleford.com, my site. If you don't know how to spell my name, it's it's just Google Jeff and Golf. That's Jeff, uh, G-E-O-F-F. G -E -O -F -F. And I will have uh, some show notes with a couple of the articles I mentioned that, that Michael has written on Greg Norman and uh, also on uh, this year's Masters that he and Alan Shipnuck are covering and his drive back from, from the Players' Championship. And, of course, some links to where you can buy the book uh, Amazon.com, obviously the easy way, uh, but there are also some some nice people doing some things that are sourcing the books from Ingram, the main distributor, and trying to help independent booksellers. So I will have that link up. 
Uh, I thank you again. This is the first show of many. Uh, the format will be evolving a little bit, so bear with me. But these are these are interesting times, and so right now I'm going to hopefully get to talk to some great people. So uh, I want to thank everybody at iHeart for the opportunity to uh, allow me to launch this show and do it the way I'm doing it, which is kind of a soft um, way of, of, of rolling out a show and not doing uh, a whole lot in the way of uh, pizzazz and, and marketing because it just doesn't feel like the right time for that. But I think we all also need some distractions and, and to hear from so many of the, the great, great people who, who love this game and write about it and talk about it and, of course, play it. Uh, special thanks to uh, Tim Parachka, our uh, show producer, and to Aaron Atkins for the show logo and Jeremy Eisenberg for helping to get this show off the ground. Um, the frequency of these shows will be a little bit up in the air, but bear with me. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Shack Show is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening.